At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, 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 friends. Thank you and welcome to Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk, your fertility friend, women's health advocate, infertility advocate, and all the things. Happy New Year, family, if you're listening and we haven't had an episode since the beginning, since the end of 2022. So Happy New Year to you guys. I'm so glad you're here getting the help, the community that you need and deserve. And if it's your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. So I don't want to waste your time and our guest time today. We have Stephen Miller, who is the host of Miles Infertility Podcast. It is a fertility podcast geared towards the advocacy of men and infertility and their struggles with fertility with their spouses and or by themselves if they are a gay gay couple, um, I should say. So thank you, Stephen, so much for coming on the show and being an advocate for men everywhere all across the world. It's it's ridiculous, the stats now um, with everyone dealing with fertility struggles and infertility, and especially male infertility. It takes a lot to be able to come out about your struggles with that. So I definitely appreciate you for creating your show and your platform as well and giving other men a space to just uh, share their struggles and what they persevere through. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I'm very excited to be on here because I started following you on Instagram. And I think the one post that I vividly remember was National Infertility Awareness Week where you had posted it was like the iphone ringtone but then you dropped a beat and it is one of all that's awesome (laughs) yeah like um yeah so i I love the content you put out there and it's just what you're doing appreciate you appreciate you like we're all doing our definitely doing all doing our part part, right yeah yeah yes so we're gonna start from the beginning so how did you and the wife meet? How did that all go down? So it's an interesting story. I mean, our journey has been interesting in general, but we actually met during a 24-hour blackout. Um, we were both at the same university, Northern Michigan, which was up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So it's up on Lake Superior. And it was October, I remember, because I remember my parents were there visiting me and, my, and most of my family is from Marquette area and stuff. And I grew up in Wisconsin, but my parents had dropped me off because like all the grocery stores were closed because there was no power and they weren't selling anything. And ironically enough, like we were both in the same dorm hall. And I remember sitting down on the couch and sitting next to this girl, never knowing her, like never knowing that she was actually in marching band with me. Um, but she was complaining about a headache. And I was like, oh, I got some Tylenol. So like I went, I went and got 
you know, her some Tylenol. And then we ended up talking for quite a length of time. And then we found out that she was in marching band with me, which she was a completely different section. I played trombone. She was clarinet. And I found out that she was also, I don't know if she was a president. She was a president of an organization called Friends of, Friends of Jazz or something like that. And I was like, oh, I need to, now I need to be in that group because like, I want to get to know her like better. And so I joined that group and ironically, I ended up being like her secretary, you know, like helping her out and stuff. But that's really how like we ended up meeting was during that blackout. And, and, and it's funny because a lot, a lot of our friends at the time, like didn't think that we were going to last two weeks because we were very opposite in personality. She was very much like, I'm going to just going to stay in my room, reserved, not really going out. I was the social, I'm going out, I'm having fun with friends, I'm out, you know. And, but lo and behold, mm-hmm. like that was, that was, I think our first date was December 4th, 2004. And it was band banquet was what, that was our first date. And then we've been together ever ever since. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations to the longevity in hanging yeah. in there. It's not easy to be in a long-term relationship like that, married and or just life partners, you know? So kudos to you guys. That's a huge milestone that you guys have been together quite some time since you would have been in your mid twenties, right? At the time, early mid twenties. Yep. I would have yeah. been probably like 20, 21, 20 years old. I would say like 1920. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's been definitely some ups and downs throughout the journey, but I think that's yeah, but that's that's how that's it all marriage goes, and right? life. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So you guys get married, and how long were you married before you all started trying to conceive? It, it was, I'd say, it's probably it was probably about a year and a half, two years. I think we wanted to give ourselves like that two years of that time. The other piece of it was the year before we got married we I, I was in grad school for psychology for experimental psych and still in Michigan still up in the UP and she was in Virginia teaching because a lot of times in the Midwest especially Wisconsin Michigan you have to go elsewhere to gain experience and then you have to move back wow. so she ended up on the um, Eastern Shore of Virginia. So she lived there by herself for a year, planning a wedding. I'm trying in Marquette where our wedding is and trying to navigate all that. Um, and like every other month, I would drive out there. So it was 19 hours drive. So like, and oftentimes I would just drive through the night and have all my caffeine and energy drinks and drive through, and then spend like a week with her, drive back and. Um, and of course, like during breaks, I would be out there as well. Like I should be home. But so we had that time, you know, kind of apart. And so I graduated my master's, but then I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. So she had the job. So after shortly, a few weeks after we got married in August, we were moving out to Virginia. Okay. And that's where I ended up at a job working with teenagers. Um that had like mental health concerns, like a day treatment program, but the day treatment was actually embedded in a school. Oh, wow. So it was a, it was a neat job, but um, 
But if you would have asked me, like, once I graduate, if I would be doing this? No. No. no I'm like, there's, it wasn't even the forefront of my mind. And now like, I've been in it for a long time wow. and stuff. So, like, we, but being in Virginia, all of our family was in Michigan and, like, upper Peninsula, Michigan, Wisconsin, 19 hours. So that was kind of a deterrent for us to try. So once we started, well, like I said, a year and a half in, we're like, well, it's not ideal, but if it happens, it happens kind of thing. And then, yeah, it just it never really came, mm-hmm. never happened. Yeah. Wow. Well, I will say shout out to you, Stephen, because they don't make them like you anymore. Nobody's driving 19 hours to see their betrothed and their loved <laughs> one and their everything these days. Oh, my gosh. The, some of the horror stories I hear about mm. singles nowadays. So. Yeah, shout out to Steven for being an upstanding man <laughs> and, and, and compromising. Yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. I can do it now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can do the trip now yeah. all one time. But, but yeah, though, I mean, it was, you know, something that was important, you know, like to make sure like, like we're both for support, still seeing each other. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure that was very difficult. Sure. I had very difficult moments uh, with being so far apart when you've, been so close for so long you know at that point wow yeah so did so we're gonna go um back to the to the trying to conceive part at this moment and Mm. so you said about a year and a half in you guys began talking about having children and starting your family and such so were you closer to the age of 30 by now or were you about mid-20s I would say they were probably about mid twenties, like twenty four years old, twenty five, okay, okay, and stuff. And yeah, because we, yeah, like, we started. If it happened, it happened. So like, like there was no birth control, no condoms, nothing. It was this, you know, trying, and it just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And during that time, it was like shortly after that. It was, I remember like it was a, it was after Christmas and we driving 19 hours home, you know, like we'd leave at 5 a.m. and get to my parents' house by midnight, you know, and we'd drive it straight. Like, mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking, like, I, like, we can't do this. It, like, we can't keep doing this, yeah. like, this, this long trip. And so, one of my good friends, like one of my best friends had said like, oh, you should check out this website. It's like milwaukeejobs.com or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, like, so the day or two, I, we got back from our trip out to Wisconsin. I started looking and like, and I started applying and I asked why I was like, you know, like, would you, do you care if I apply for jobs? Because, you know, like we need to be back home, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And she was like, no. And I'm like, but this also means that I might have to move back without you, like, Mm -hmm. until you you can finish your school year and stuff. And she was fine. And then I ended up working a position in Milwaukee with um, kids that were court ordered um, the wraparound program. Mm -hmm. So they were involved with either CPS or juvenile justice. Um, So I did that for a little over here. But that meant I I once again had to be a, a part you know, mm-hmm. like, so I had to move back in March of, what was it, 2012, I want to okay. say. Um, it was March of like 2012, I moved back, and then, so we were apart, and then I remember my dad and I flying out back to Virginia, and then moving her back, 
with us. And then we basically just drove back, you know, like and had a U-Haul and everything. Okay. So, but then that was around 2012 that we really started like actively like pursuing wanting to have a child because like we were home, we were closer to family, you know, like we had the support. I mean, I have an aunt uncle that lives in Arlington, which was, but it was four hours away. It was still not close, you know? Um, and it was then that it was crazy. Like we've been trying for this, like this whole time, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was crazy because like we were trying for more than a year, but like we went to a new doctor mm -hmm. and then they're like, well, you need to try for a year. So it was like another year that we had to try, oh, you know, like, okay. and it was like another, yeah. So it was, especially with different moves. Cause like we moved back to the Milwaukee area for about a year, a couple of years. And then we ended up moving to where we are now. Um, and that's really where our fertility treatments really started, like get, getting to go, yeah. um, on that journey and that path. Wow. Okay. So when you guys go to this new clinic where you actually settled down in kind of like permanently, right. In this new, in this new area. Yeah. Okay. So when you guys go, yeah. had, what were, did anybody say anything previously about testing you guys further? No one had ever offered that to you? And not not for me, at okay. least. Um I from what I remember, like my wife Stacey had said that because I asked her, it's like, how did we even get into this? Like how did this come about? And she she remembers talking to her OB about like we you know, like we're not finding success, like we're not, you know, being able to get pregnant and stuff. And I remember the OB like was a very excellent doctor and then she ended up moving out of the area, which is unfortunate, but she was very good, but she did test me like, and her, like this initial kind of workups. Um, and like, I found out like I had both sperm count and I want to say low, morph low morphology. Okay. Um, so at that point, that's like, that's all we knew, like, cause everything else looked fine. Like she did an HSG. Um, she did all of her blood work and everything like that. Um, so everything on her end like looked great. So I, I think I initially found out about like well, sperm count. Like she, I'm trying to remember like the timing because mm -hmm. like it was like literally right after her HSG. Okay. And HSGs are not fun for a woman. Like it was cramping everything like not feeling great about it and then somehow like it came out from the doctor that was doing it they're like oh like your husband has a sperm count and i don't even remember through all of that like we're all trying to figure out like what's going on like what caused this right mm -hmm. and trying to figure out like what was it that i you know like did i do something you know like was it you know was it how much like was alcohol a factor because i drank you know like a lot in college and you know like were different medications like i have adhd so i take it you know adderall like to help with medicate like that so it's like yeah. those kind of things that were left you know trying to find meaning but then it's it's interesting because i'm like reading a book right now called nonsense the power of not knowing um I'm trying to think. It's like Jamie Holmes. Oh, I'll find like it. That. Yeah, like, I'll I'm, go down to Google yeah, rabbit hole. <laughs> it, but, um, but it's interesting because he talks about like the ambiguity of not knowing, like, and what do we historically do? Like, we try to find meaning and we try to find patterns. We try to find 
what caused this, right? And even research shows that things that are interrelated in our minds will try to figure out like, oh, that's a pattern, that's a pattern, that's what, and they're like, no, they're not even related. Mm. Um, but that's that ambiguity of infertility. You know, like it's like driving through fog. Like it was in, like I remember driving home from work one day, and I knew that I you shouldn't take pictures while you're driving. Of course, we do, right? <laughs> but so, but we do, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I was driving, and I could literally see like the fog wall, like driving, like it was all clear, and then I saw this fog wall, and I'm like, oh, I have to take a picture of this. And I took a picture of it and then put on it right in front of it, like it says infertility. And it's like driving through that fog, right? Because we don't know what's on the other side. Like we can guess, mm-hmm. we can estimate what would maybe happen, but we truly don't know Not at all. until we're in the thick of it, right? And then even when we're in the thick of it, we don't know what's on the other side, Yeah. right? We don't know what the outcome's going to be. No. So that ambiguity of not knowing, you know, like drives us to find meaning, you know, like in what our experience is. Yeah. And I like the analogy you gave of infertility being like driving into fog because it's like, do I stop and pull over and wait a few minutes and let my eyes adjust? Yeah. Or do I move forward not knowing what's coming right in front of me if, if there's another vehicle a bigger vehicle a bigger issue a small issue lots of tiny issues lots of big issues so mm-hmm. yeah I feel that that gave me chills actually wow yeah it is very much like that very much like that yeah and I know at this point you're probably as a professional and what your degree path and your expertise I'm sure you were trying to like self-assess your feelings and then also working through your ADHD. I know that is another layer to it all and the emotional effects of having to deal with fertility issues and then everything else that you guys had going on. Cause you're trying to get settled back home, even though it's a town, you know, it's like still trying to get settled, you know? So there was a lot going on. I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. And I think the hardest thing was, at that point, I was a like a case manager, a short-term case manager for crisis services. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So like I was working with teenagers, you know, young kids, I would say like the youngest I maybe had was like five or six or something like that. Um, but these were kids that struggle with mental health, like I've recently been hospitalized, you know, like and you're connecting them to services and doing crisis plans and everything. So like I, I understood the mental health piece, like, and when I started doing like research about like what was that normal experience like what was normal like was it normal to you know be depressed about this mm-hmm. you know was it normal to have anxiety like what are the things in my head that are going on like what is normal what's not you know and 
it left me wondering because at that point there was no podcast you know like there are some now you know like but a lot of them are overseas you know from the united states which is not a bad thing it's you know there's similarities but it left me wondering like what was that normal experience because i could remember putting pressure on myself that like if i didn't have a child or a biological child that my family tree would end because at that point like i have an older sister that's about seven years older than me like she was not you know married at the time Mm -hmm. you know so like i was just like i would put that pressure on me Mm -hmm. you know so it was very like existential for me it's just like trying to figure out like how how do I make this work? Because like I don't want I didn't want to be the one to cause my family tree to end. Yeah, you know? yeah. Especially even with though being a male and all, and the expectation right. of all that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents like did a great job of like they didn't pressure or push anything on us. You know, like they weren't one saying that like oh like you know you really you know, should have a child you shouldn't have a child you know they were never like that, you know, like they were just very much like let us to kind of dictate that path. But, but it was like, like I said, it was that, that pressure, like that, like as a man, I felt like I had to fix it. Right. Um, yeah. So from that point on, we tried, we tried one IUI and I just remember the doctor saying like, it was most likely not going to work because like my account had dropped whatever, for whatever reason. And I, I don't know if I was like sick the month before or whatever, because right. uh, it right. takes three months to regenerate. But um, we tried it because, you know, they always say it only takes one, you know, but I mean, unfortunately, like we were not successful with that. And at that point, they like had referred us to a fertility clinic in Madison, which was about 45 minutes from us. So it wasn't horrible. Like it was not a bad okay. drive, you know. Um, so we went there and, you know, we got further testing and stuff and my numbers have went up a little bit, but still considered low and they did more testing on her. So then they did their AMH and then she found out that she had dementia ovarian reserve. Mm-hmm. So it was multi-factor, right? So it was both yeah. of us, but interesting enough for me, I put more weight on my issue than hers. Like I felt mm-hmm. like mine was the main reason why we're here. You know, even though we both had issues that really made it significant, yeah, right. But I don't like. I was discounting her issues because I was taking ownership of like like my stuff was more like the reason or more the cause than hers. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm guilty of doing that. I still am taking ownership of things that aren't necessarily my problem right Mm -hmm. but i just remember like thinking that way and so during this time so like they did further evaluation on both of us and the the one doctor had found like it's like there was a cyst on the ejaculatory duct and he's like i don't Uh know whether or not like that's causing a significant factor or not but it like he recommended the surgery and I was like, okay. And he said, like, well, like it's five thousand dollars, and like we need to pay it up front before you do it. And I'm like, my wife's a teacher, like I'm a social worker. We don't have five thousand dollars, you know, laying around, especially in our twenties, right? We just yeah, don't just have that kind of money, yeah. right? And 
I was just like, okay, well, like if I wanted to, I wanted to get a second opinion because if like if I'm gonna invest this money, you know, like or put this money down, like I want to make sure like this is gonna be a legit thing, you know. And so we went to another hospital. It was a urologist, and they were, you know, advertising like free like consults. You know, like it was mm-hmm. more of like that second opinion, you know, getting a free second opinion. I was like, okay, well, I'll take him up on that. And I went, my wife and I went to the doctor, it was a urologist, and I told him about the surgery that was recommended. And he he looked up the surgery on Wikipedia, of Mm. all places, not a medical journal, not like scientific web search thing, like it was Wikipedia. And I'm like, just kind of started laughing like are you serious right now but he then recommended me like further recommended me to another doctor in in milwaukee which was still about 45 minutes an hour i was like okay and so we went there and the doctor was great you know like and it was a very good recommendation like i he still does really great work dr sandlow and that freighter and uh, medical college wisconsin and He's like, well, like, let's be creative with this. Like, we can aspirate the cyst, you know, like, and then we could see whether or not that makes a difference in your count. I'm like, okay, like, that sounds like a great plan to me. And so we did that. And like, I kid you not, that needle had to have been at least a foot long, or if not longer. Like, I looked at it once and like, I turned my head. I'm like, I, I am not looking at this thing. It was huge. I was like, okay you know it's so i remember like numbing i didn't feel just a pinch like i didn't feel anything else and then we waited i think like three weeks or something like that like and yeah it was it maybe increased it a little bit but not significant Mm. enough so i was like on one hand i was glad that i didn't have to spend five thousand dollars for nothing yeah yeah but on the other hand like we're right back to square one of like now what do we do you Mm -hmm. know so then we had to really confront the idea of doing IVF and that was a lot of conversations because in Wisconsin there is no mandated coverage everything's out of pocket yeah yeah and like I said like we didn't have that money laying around you know like we didn't figure like we're trying to figure out like how can we do this yeah mm-hmm. like this is something that we want to do and we started actually going down like the adoption pathway and we did all of our training. We did our home study, like we had our portfolio. And then like one night, like we were just, you know, kind of talking and said, and I asked a question, I was like, you know, like when we're in our sixties and seventies, are we going to regret not trying for our biological children? And we kind of mm-hmm. sat on that for like a night or, you know, a day or two. And then we kind of revisited it and we we're like, yeah, like, I think we, we're going to regret if we don't try. So that kind of really what led us to doing IVF. But then it was also the acceptance that we couldn't pay for this ourselves. And I remember asking my parents, my parents would help out as much as they could. And then my aunt and uncle that were in Virginia um never like my aunt never had her own children at all um married mm-hmm. like a lot later in life um actually, actually married her high school sweetheart and then went their separate ways and then 
they met later in life and they got married. But um, my both of my my paternal grandparents, like both of them, had passed away at that point. Mm. And ironically enough, like the exact amount of money was the exact amount of money that she had that she inherited from my grandparents, like was the exact amount of money that we needed for IVF. So my aunt, like we, like my aunt and I had the same banking, you know, like bank or credit union. So we mm-hmm. were able to have a shared account and she transferred like the money. And like, we were able to like basically essentially pay for IVF, you know, because of wow. that inheritance money. And so we were going to go to, to this clinic in, in Milwaukee. We were on our way, like we liked the doctor, everything was all squared away. And there was so much miscommunication amongst the staff that no one told us about like the meds, like, so we we're about to start IVF and then we didn't have any medications. And they're like, oh, well, you were like, no one told us anything. So it was really, it, it never, so it never came to fruition, never happened. And right around that time, like my wife's insurance changed. So mm-hmm. like there was some fertility benefit in her previous insurance, not a lot, but it helped a little bit. And now she had none. So no, now we were no longer covered by this clinic. So then we had to go back to the original clinic in Madison. So like mm-hmm. I joke and say like we're professional hoop jumpers because like we've jumped through <laughs> so many hoops, you know, like, yeah. right. And like, I remember, like, in one of our conversations, I'm like, we're hoop jumpers. That's what we are. That's what, you know, like, and I'm just, like, very upset. And it, like, but me being, like, very sarcastic in saying the hoop jumpers. But um, <laughs> we ended up back at Madison. And then the doctor, right, that we current, that we originally saw was no longer there. So it's a new doctor. And then the doctor really was very old school, did not have any bedside manner. And... He looked at our numbers and he's like, I, I would just adopt. Like, I, just, you know, like, I don't think you're going to get, you know, be successful with the IVF. But like, it's just like, I would give you probably about a 15% chance of getting pregnant. You know, like my, like, and I look at my wife and she's in tears, you know, like, and just devastated Absolutely. completely. And I was like, okay. So we walked out there and I'm like, we'll find somewhere else to go. And we were just like, trying to figure out like what and that's we're right back to square one again where yeah. are we going what are we doing like we have money you know so at least we had that we have that and i remember her like my wife's one of her really good friends lisa had messaged her because they were initially having some fertility struggles they ended up conceiving naturally thankfully um i mean thankfully for them you know yeah um and they were like well why don't you check this place in missouri and I'm like, sorry. Like, I was like, okay. And they have really good success rates, you know, like, and like she had heard a lot of good things about their staff and the doctors and stuff. And I was like, okay. So I, you know, doing what I do, like I look on Google Maps and see like how, <laughs> how far of a drive is this going to be? All right. And is this still going to be doable? And it was exactly, I'm not even kidding, like from our house to the clinic, it was exactly five hours. Wow. And most people would probably think five hours, like that's a deal breaker. I'm not driving that far. Anyway, both of yeah. us were like, that's not bad. <laughs> you know, from perspective yeah. of like, we were driving 19 hours, like five hours is nothing compared to like 19, you know, 
and we, mm-hmm. we went to it, right? Like, so we went to the consult and I remember the doctor like making himself available like at seven o'clock at night or seven thirty. It was in the evening. And the doctor, you know, calling us, you know, like and we consulted about like what were our numbers for, what were the tests that we've done and you know, like everything we had been up to that point. And he was still positive. He's like, I think you have higher than a higher chance of fifteen percent. And so like we would gladly, you know, take you, you know, and come down to our clinic. And so we're like, okay. So that's how we got started with that clinic. Um, and I remember it was, I want to say it was my birthday of 2017. No, it was longer before that. I just remember because like we ended up taking or hosting exchange students the whole time oh, while we did okay. IVF. That was our distraction really? Interesting. because like, like we knew okay. that if we were consistently thought about fertility stuff all the time, we were going to drive ourselves nuts. And we were going to have breakdowns. And it was just like, nope, you know what? We have a house. You know, like at that point, we had bought in the house. Like we had extra rooms. And my sister-in-law and brother-in-law had an exchange students. And we're like, and they had good experiences. And we're like, why not? You know, so like we had two exchange students from Germany and one from Norway. So it was Germany one year, Norway in the middle, and then Germany in the last year that we did it. And it was interesting mm-hmm. because each one of them got to see a part of IDF because they would go with us to the clinic because it's outside St. Louis and we would make a trip out of it. You know, like we went up the arch and like did all kinds of fun stuff. And, um, but yeah, I remember like driving down to the appointment, you know, like we would we'd take a day off of work, you know, like we would drive five hours, do our 30 minute appointment, go fuel up, have lunch, and then drive back five hours. And we did that like for, I don't know how, at least a year. So like, not all of our appointments were like, had to be at the clinic. So okay. like a lot of the blood work and stuff is like, you do locally. You do locally right? Right. So I mean, that was her going, mm-hmm. you know, to Janesville, which was like 15, 20 minutes from our house. So it wasn't a bad, you know, it wasn't a bad drive, but um, yeah. So like the major appointments, so like we had to be there, like, and it was May of like 2016, I want to say, or 2017. I don't even remember at this point, but um it was my birthday and she had her first egg retrieval and that was okay. extremely hard for me because like i said before i was taking mm-hmm. ownership of i'm putting her through this it's because of my issue my medical issue i'm causing you know and i remember thinking to myself that she was wheeled out because she was under anesthesia like she's waking up and you know how they look after you've been put under anesthesia and i'm like is this worth it mm-hmm is this worth putting her through mm-hmm. all of this, you know, and seeing her look like that, you know, like it was, it was, it was hard on me and it got easier, you know, as we did more, cause we did a lot of egg banking because of her dimensional variant reserve. So we did probably, I think four rounds of egg banking yeah, and then, um, mm-hmm. And then we fertilized like, I'll, I don't remember how, I don't remember our accounts, but I know that we had, seven embryos that made it to blast and two of them were euploid or perfect and then there was a couple that were like considered low mosaic and then some were that were like on the edge and iffy um yeah so i remember like the meds the shots in the morning the trigger shots at like three in the morning or one in the morning setting the alarm and mm-hmm. um yeah so like we were there for a good i would say half year a year i would say year because then we ended up doing mm-hmm. 
a transfer. I want to say it was like December. I want to say we ended up transferring in December or November. Um, okay. And that one didn't work. And I still remember where I was, like when, like my wife called, like I was like, literally, I can remember the intersection of where I was driving because I had went to go get fuel or something. I don't remember where I was going, but I remember the intersection. It was like in our, in our town. And I just remember like, I got to sink, you know, like it just like, she was like in tears and like, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Even though like, we knew like the first one doesn't always take, but it's still hard. You know, like yeah. you hope so much that we could just have to do this once, you know, like, and so just completely, both of us were completely devastated. Like I was in a deep, dark hole and like, I just remember not caring about anything anymore. And mm. work mm. was like, I, I don't even care about being here. I'm going to do work. I was just skating by, like not really caring, you know, like I remember having like mm. suicidal thoughts, you know, like, and what's my life going to be, you know, what's that? Cause it's all, amb amb you know, ambiguous and I just, mm -hmm. it was like the first and only time ever that like I put alcohol like in my coffee. I'd be like Irish coffee. And I did it once and I'm like, I can't get into that habit. That's that's not a great way of coping. You know, like, um, you know, like. While trying to become a mom. Right. You know, like, it's like I just. Do it together. Know, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I got into counseling and I don't know, the counselor itself was, it was okay. He knew somewhat of IVF because his nephew had done it, but like he really didn't really get it, you know, like the the psychological side of it. Yeah. And like, and the hard thing was is that there were no men in the field, whether that were in Wisconsin, right, or low or anywhere near, right. And not that I wouldn't, I would have gone see the woman too, like what, yeah, you know, like, but it was also at that time before COVID, it was forty five minutes to an hour to commute to go to an appointment. And when you're trying to manage yeah. all of your time around IVF, that's not really going to be the first thing that you're going to think about. I'm going to go drive to Madison or Milwaukee to do an appointment for an hour appointment. That is just like, it just wasn't in the mix, you know? Yeah. The one silver line in the pandemic is telehealth. I mean, that, that in itself like opens up so much for people Game going through fertility treatments. Yeah. You know? And I think that if I had that, like I would have taken advantage of that for sure. And yeah, absolutely. so absolutely. after a few weeks of both of us grieving, you know, we end up getting back to our clinic and it's like, okay, what are our next steps? You know, what can we do? And so my wife was really adamant about doing the ERA test. And at this point, you know, like how much money we spent, I'm like, oh, what's another $800? <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, like whatever, right, like exactly. if you really feel like this test is gonna do anything or like or help identify anything, like go ahead. You know, like so we ended up, you know, paying for the test and did a mock cycle and stuff. And I, it probably didn't change a whole lot of the protocol, maybe like a tweak here and there, but um so that we finally like then we came back in March and then we're like, okay, like we really wanted to transfer to. And so we had one normal okay. you know, embryo left and one little mosaic. And we're like, we're like, okay, yeah, we just want, okay. we want to transfer to, you know, like, we don't want to know what it, like, what the gender, we didn't, we wanted that to be a surprise. And so we transferred. And it's funny because our Norwegian exchange student never asked to do anything. 
And mm-hmm. he wanted to go to these caverns and it was like, and it was like outside of St. Louis. And we ended up going because he obviously wanted to go. So we drove out there and he really, we went to, it was Merrimack Caverns, I think what the name was. And the whole time my dad was tracking me on GPS. He was also like, so we didn't want to tell him. We didn't want to tell him about the appointment because of the last transfer. And since the transfer failed, we like, we obviously at that point, like we didn't want to let anybody know about like what our appointments were or anything like that. So I had forgotten that I allowed him to track my GPS on my phone because usually when I'm traveling up there to see him, he's always calling me, asking me where I'm at, where I'm at, where I'm at. And I'm like, here, just, I'm going to put my, you know, my phone on your, on your iPad and like you, you can track to see where we're at. Right. And he thought we got carjacked and he was just like, because he's like St. Louis, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and it was just like, and like we were in these caverns and so we had no cell reception. I had nothing. And I get out, right, like, and I and I get out of the woods, right, and all of a sudden I have reception. I've got, like, all these missed calls. I'm like, what the hell? I'm thinking somebody died because usually when my dad calls me randomly, like, it's because somebody died, you know, like. Of course. And I'm like, what's going on? And, like, I'm freaking out. So I call him and he's like, it's like, why yeah. are you in St. Louis? And I'm like, we had an appointment, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and, like, my mom was like, he was like, he was so close yeah, to calling yeah. the police and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, like. So like, a funny story, like, so like, yeah. but the caverns were like at least a couple miles, you know, like, and, you know, they say you're not supposed to do strenuous exercise. Wow. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, and then we ended up, yeah, so yeah, we did the transfer, yeah. we did that, came back and then found out that we were in fact pregnant with twins. And I remember, and wow. I don't know, I don't remember thinking, like, I remember getting the news and I'm like, yeah. I was excited. And my wife was just like, sat there quietly because it's kind of like, it's like you've been up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down with your hopes and dreams. They're like, now what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just like. Is somebody pranking right? you? And it's, it's like, so, what do we do now? It feels very surreal. It was yeah. like, I don't know. What, what, what do we do now? Like, yeah. So like, I, I so it's I like, just shit. So she okay. asked me, like, can you schedule, yeah, you know, like, the, really, really. you know, ultrasound appointment? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So I called the clinic and scheduled it and made it, you know, for time we could go. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't realize that we were pregnant because I forgot to tell them because they were assuming that. So they were all excited and stuff. And like, there was oh, two, right, you know, right. whole embryos sitting there and, um, and we had one scare. It was like seven weeks that she was at work. And then she just gushed blood. And we're like, it was like, she thought for sure that was it. Like, they're gone. Like, there's no way. Like, there's blood everywhere. You know, like, and so I met her at the doctor's office. And sure enough, they all just sound they're still there. And now they are four years old and wow. high yeah. energy. And yeah. The time is going by entirely yeah, too, so, too fast, right? So mm-hmm. after like all that, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a good couple of years when I really started reflecting back on all of it. And I started my MSW program in 2020. And I, I don't remember, I remember the, the professor, Angela Willits. So she's been, she's phenomenal. Like she's just been supporting me in all of this. And I don't know if it was a presentation she gave, but somehow she said, you know, a lot of people go into their program thinking they know what they want to do. And a lot of times they end up changing mm-hmm. to something different. And I'm like, 
what I'd change to. You know, like I was, I mean, I'm still mental health and I was like, I'm still going to do that. But I'm like, what would I change to? And it got me thinking. And then I started even thinking like, like further about it. I was like, what can I do with this? What can I do? Because I had read research that mm-hmm. showed like a lot of times if you make meaning out of your situation, whatever, it helps you cope with the infertility. And that was especially true for men. I was like, okay, let me try this. Mm-hmm. And I just started writing. Like, what what could I do? And there were so many ideas that were just coming out, you know, like that were like, like, what research could I do? Like, what, like, could I do a nonprofit? Could I do, you know, like, and I just started coming out. So I had a class called Human Behavior and Environment. And I've always gotten in the habit of looking at the index, especially if you have a textbook, if infertility is in there, if it's talked about. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, there's infertility. And like, there was a case study about a couple going through IVF, what IVF was, like, what were some of the, you know, like how difficult that is for some people. And then I'm like, okay, week seven, like, I'm going to be all about this. Like, this is going to be awesome. Never touched it, never talked about it. And I just remember like kind of flipping out of like, why, why are we not talking about this? Why is this not brought up? And that is what got me like fueled mm-hmm, for like, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, why are we not talking about this? Really There's 7 million right, people yeah. plus whoever that deal with infertility and the mental health piece of it, but yet we're not talking about it. So I'm like, that I question, I'm like, if we're not talking about it, how are future clinicians or mental health providers, how are they supposed to know how to support somebody going through infertility. So that's where that advocacy effort started coming to to begin, was through that. So I just started emailing podcasts because I'm like, what better way to get information about there is is a podcast, right? And professors use podcast episodes for assignments. Mm -hmm. I'm like, twofold. One, it's easy. You can listen to a podcast. It's accessible. And two, it could be an assignment, right? And... So I just started emailing mm-hmm. podcasts, like social work ones. I'm like, we should be talking about this in social work. Because not only is there like, there is a lack of mental health providers, you know, especially for men, because there's only about maybe five of us in the entire nation, in the entire okay. country, but it's bringing that awareness. So not only do we have all that, but we have also racial equity issues with fertility treatments as well, you know? And if social work really is truly about like, you know, people that are oppressed and racial equity and all of that, then we we should be having these conversations about access to treatment, you know? So I literally, like I said, just started emailing podcasts and saying like, hey, this is a topic that we should be talking about. And I remember getting, it was like my first response was from Greg Wright in the NASW. And he did like NSW or Social Work Talks podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of kept at it. I'm like, I okay. really had this. This is really an important topic. You know, like it affects a lot of people. Like, and kept at it. And I went to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine Conference in October of 21, I want to say, whenever it was in Baltimore. And I remember being in the airport, because flying back, and, like, and I thought I had to sell him. Like, I was like, I'm going to have to sell it again. You know, like, and I was prepared. You know, like, but he's like, no, like, we'd like to have you as a guest. Right. Podcasts. I'm like, yeah. oh, that'd be that's awesome. You know, and then right. I started to start emailing more and more. Right. And so I, I, been on like about five or six podcasts for like social work, you know, like and just highlighting like why social work should be a part of this and this conversation. And then it was like June or May last year that I was just like, okay, I've been on a number of podcasts. What would I have wanted when I was going through it? 
And that's what really kind of transpired the podcast I have now is really about highlighting the male experience, you know, of what that was like, you know, for them, you know, and it was, I also wanted to highlight various stories because my story and my, my wife's and I story of, of our journey over is a lot different than some others, you know? So I wanted to get different avenues, different perspectives, different, I mean, just where at least, you know, an episode could maybe resonate with somebody that listened to it, you know, to let them know like, hey, they're not alone. And this, like, what is a normal reaction? You know, what were some of those things that other men have done? You know, kind of giving them that space to kind of make them feel like, no, this is something bigger. Like, you know, there are other people out there you know, that experiences, you know, and men are often, you know, considered the silent partner throughout it because like the women get the physical and the emotional, like and the hormones are no joke. Like I took Clomid, so I got like a very little bit perspective on that, yeah. but um, it's, it's, it is, yeah, right? It's a wild ride. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also don't feel like men should neglect like their emotional, like their mental health either, you know, and often men do. You know, like they try to be strong for their partner, you know, like, and oftentimes by them not reacting, it gets misperceived as they don't care. They don't want a family. And that's really not even remotely close, you know, to a lot of men like, no, I want to be, I'm in this, you know, like, and I think, you know, women general like want to see that like you're in it, you know, with them and stuff and kind of get in the mud and the thick of it and stuff and know how much it yeah and as a woman yeah and as a no you're fine so as a woman I feel like a lot of times even if you don't have the words you don't have the ideas you don't have solutions even just saying like dear like love my baby Mm -hmm. my everything whoever whatever what if you call your spouse I don't know what to say I'm speechless but just know I'm here with you and a lot of times that's enough because we know because we're freaking halfway speechless most of the time going through this whole process and trying to wrap our minds around it even being scared and having scares during pregnancy like with you guys and such so just even if you be like yeah dear I don't know I don't know but we're gonna figure it out you know somehow (laughs) is enough and I think men and women uh both of us are like we both forget about it at some point too as well yeah yeah so yeah wow what a ride but I love you guys' advocacy especially you and in in the field that you work in I would have never put two and two together so I think you're you're doing exactly what the universe has uh partially I know you have other goals and things to do yeah and I really want that's amazing that's wonderful it is I know people it's a very lofty goal but would love to change the narrative of getting pregnant is really easy to getting pregnant it's not always easy you know if you think about sex ed, you know, they teach you, you could have sex once, get pregnant. That's all they tell you. Right. And it, it, it's still that narrative, right? Yeah, that getting pregnant is super easy. Like I had read a textbook on reproductive trauma. And mm-hmm. in there, they were saying about like how the invention of birth control also led to this, like this idea that getting pregnant can be controlled and easily um, achieved, like just get out birth control, mm. right? So mm. a lot of so true. people in their 20s don't have that awareness of what infertility is. And that's the next generation, right? And that's the next generation of going to be building yeah. their families. So like, why do they have to learn through getting diagnosed when we all have knowledge of cancer, diabetes, you know, like any other medical disorder. Right. Everything else seems more mainstream, right? 
everything else seems so much more mainstream and this is still kind of hush hush. Right. Even though there's a lot of us now on on the interwebs creating platforms such as yours and mine and and creating the awareness. And I have had some people and I'm sure your page has too that have that are not in it, yeah. but they see the content and then now there's this bug in their ear, like, damn, I'm gonna have to remember this or I'm gonna have to refer back because maybe I should go and get my I had someone a long time ago email me and she was in her twenties and she was like, I would have never thought to have my reproductive organs uh, examined yeah. before I wanted to actually pursue motherhood. But, you know, thank you for the work you're doing because now I know it's something that we should be doing in our mid to early twenties and making sure that things yeah. are okay if there's no yeah. evidence. And also of it it's spreading that awareness you know? and letting them know yeah. that this is a yeah, thing. Sure. This does impact people. And it's also creating awareness because the likelihood that one of them is either going to have infertility or know somebody is likely, right? And how many that how many of the you should just adopt, you should just relax, you should, you know, like those are all based off of myths and anecdotes, right? And it's about giving them the knowledge that how to support yeah. their friend or significant other, like or themselves, like how did how do you support them? Because a lot of friends are speechless and they, I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah. So it's about providing that education with them, exactly. like what this might exactly. go through. Cause I think that will go a long way for some people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely uh life-changing information when the awareness is brought into the picture and you just have to keep fighting a good fight. It's not easy yeah. and it's draining and it gets, t- and it gets tiring, but hopefully uh, we can stick it out for the long haul and show yeah. up when we can um, in those times and moments when people need us the most or at least can access our content that we've already created, you know, and refer yeah. back and get what they need. And that's what it's all about. So, Stephen, if there's a last word you want to give our friends today listening, a word of encouragement. So I know like in the, the questions you asked me, like, what would I say to infertility if it was standing in front of me? And I don't know if you're familiar with the rapper NF, but he obviously raps about mental health. Like I, I love his stuff, like very powerful. And I want to say it was like intro three. I don't remember what album it is, but the line that he said was, I thought you had me in prison the whole time, but I'm the one holding the keys. And I see that right as infertility, yes. right? Like Ooh, infertility, like had me thinking mm-hmm. like I'm in this by myself. I'm, I can do nothing with this. I should keep this a secret. I should be shameful. Right. But the entire time, like I was the only one, I was the one holding the keys to allow myself to become an advocate and talk about it and being able to share that story so other people can learn, you know, from that experience. So to like all those out there that have that story, your story is powerful and people should hear it. People need to hear it. And if you can find ways, even, you know, even as simple as connect with your alma mater, right? Like connect where you went to school, like see if you can do a presentation, do a talk about what was that experience like? Because I guarantee any social work, psychology or counseling, like they're going to appreciate the value in having that direct experience and giving that experience ever to people in the field. Yeah, I love that. And I love that how you preach bringing awareness to people who would normally have this sort of a conversation instead of already going to a community that's well aware of its existence. So I appreciate that. 
that reminder because I think we forget too that there's a lot of people who need to know who may not ever go through it themselves, but they should just be aware of it and or and just in case they have to support someone, like you said earlier. So I love, love, love that you kept reiterating that throughout this episode of spreading awareness to communities and places where people would normally be talking about it and just putting that bug in their ear because it is so prevalent nowadays. So, um, so where can we yeah, find I'm you primarily on, on Instagram. Yeah, I do have a Twitter, but it's uh, Twitter is miles underscore podcast. Um, the Instagram is sjmiller2024. Um, and then there's the Miles podcast. I'm not sure what the handle is about that one. So I kind of flip between the two of them. I do have a Facebook page. I mean, if you just look at Miles podcast and fertility, you should be able to find it. I also wanted to just add one last thing. Um, so last semester I did a independent study on fertility counseling and reproductive trauma. And part of that study, you have to do a project, right? So I decided I'm going to do a presentation. That's what I've been doing this whole time. Um, but Ebony Freeman is also an MSW okay. student at Baylor. Um, and her and I connected on LinkedIn, I want to say. It was, yeah, it was LinkedIn. Um, and she is doing a, like some good work with mental health in the Black community. So her and I are doing a joint presentation. It's going to be on Zoom. It's March 9th at 6.30 Eastern time or no 6 30 central time sorry 6 30 central um and we're calling it a tale of two stories because we both struggle with infertility but our stories are so different right and highlighting the experience of her you know like her experience you know as a black woman um so Mm -hmm. i would Mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. keep an Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that because i think it would be going to be a great presentation i think for both of us yeah yeah. 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 Yes. Absolutely. And make sure you tag me too, because so that I can I can um, share it on the Instagram page as well, and then I will have, um, of course, all of your information in the show details, so that they can follow you, and also keep up with when that takes place. That's going to be really important this year. It'll be segueing right yep. before into uh, National Infertility Awareness Week, so that's perfect timing, and um, getting the extra support that we all need during these trying, trying times. Um, in the state of our country and everything else in life that we have to deal with, right? So, Stephen, again, my friend, I, I am so deeply appreciative of you coming on the show today and sharing your truth and further spreading awareness in and outside of the community. And I just, I thank you and I appreciate you giving us your time today. Yeah, no problem. I loved being on here, and you keep creating the good stuff because, like I, like I said, I absolutely love your content, and you're doing some good stuff too as well. Thank you, my friend. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. You guys know where to find me, Infertility and Me Podcast on social media, YouTube, specifically Instagram and YouTube and on all the streaming platforms. So make sure you guys are following and staying up to date with the show as we have more friends coming on, sharing their stories. And if you ever like to share yours, do not hesitate to tap the show details and connect with me through email and or the social handles. I am here for you guys. You do not have to do this alone. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.